Welcome to Kim Knows Nothing, Thank you everybody. Very much. My name is Stacy. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Our intro has become so unprofessional. I know, it really has. You think when people see that like a new episode is online, they're like, great. Let me just fast, fast forward, forward about 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, we're ridiculous. Yeah. It's so cool. that's Kim. Hi. I'm Stacy. Yes. <laughs> Get out of here. We're trying to do a podcast. That was the weirdest thing. I didn't even try. We have actual people listening to us. We I have know. like hundreds of people listening to us. I know. It's right so now. embarrassing. Hundreds, if not millions of people. <laughs> Those are the only options. Yeah. Uh, how many people listen to you guys? Uh, I think maybe two, 250 or 7 million, but nothing in the middle for sure. Yeah, definitely it Depends not. on the day. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we're a true crime podcast. Yes. And I research a true crime story mm-hmm. and I share it with Kim. And Kim doesn't know about true crime. So she reacts in, you know, she's got jokes. She's got sound effects. That's a good one. Thank you. What was that one called? Uh, um, it was called, I just randomly slammed my hand on the keyboard. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her keyboard is programmed to different sound effects uh-huh. for each button. It's very it's fancy. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. I challenge you to use at least 25 sound effects. <laughs> Do you really want that? No. Oh, in the episode, not all at once. <laughs> no, not all at once. It's uh, a sound effects heavy episode. Yeah, let's just... <laughs> too many sound too effects. Many. Too, too, too many. It's too much. Too um, So, yeah. So, you know, we talk true crime. Mm-hmm. And if it's about a murder, then we're talking... Murders on the cast. Murders on the cast. So... My eyes got all big and I started shaking my head. No. 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 You did not like that. No, not. Sorry. Not liking that. Um, You got to live life in the moment. You know, you can't have regrets. You're talking so fast. We're recording this late at night after we've both worked a long day at our jobs. And we're kind of amped up on caffeine and sugar right now. So we're going at full speed. (laughs) Coming at you hot. Full speed, feeling good, ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you ready to talk about murder? Murders. Yeah. (laughs) No. Oh, God. God. This is either the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. I don't know. Kim's crying. Kim's crying. All right, get it together, woman. Okay. We have fans to keep happy. That's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this week, we're going to be talking about a murder. Okay. Okay. I pointed a gun hand at her. You did. When I said yes, yes, yes. A murder. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Um, and actually, it's a series of crimes all committed by the same person. Oh, no. Interesting. Hmm. Um, interesting. I have a lot of follow-ups, but I think you're just going to tell me, so I won't ask I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you shut up? Okay. <laughs> um, so these crimes occurred in Cleveland, Ohio uh-huh. in the 1980s. Oh, okay. Okay. So before Drew Carey show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You just made me so... <laughs> <laughs> Your pop culture references sometimes just... <laughs> like, really? That's, that's the reference you're going to make? Okay. Yes! I know it's a, I know it's appropriate, but also like there are other <sighs> Cleveland. What what do you want me to, to reference the Cleveland show? <laughs> that's not about Cleveland. That's just a spinoff. No, 
Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. Let's just, we're going to jump right into it. Okay. Okay. Got my so little a- diving boots on and I'm ready. No. Yeah. 47 so, meters down. <laughs> Good Lord. So okay. in Cleveland, Ohio, on September 21st, 1984, a 14-year-old girl was kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Which is very sad. I am immediately regretting the lighthearted tone I took at the beginning of this podcast. Well, listen, this is a true crime podcast yes. with a comedic tone. Yeah. Okay. Don't. Now you're taking a harsh tone. Well, what I'm saying is that before you, I gave you this information, it was fine to be laughing. We move forward we in move time. Forward. We don't move backwards. Right. Okay. So her name was Trina Middleton. She was a ninth grader at Shaw High School. And Trina had been walking home from a Friday night football game with her friends, 13-year-old Tammy Sims and 13-year-old Bonita Collier. Um, and it was actually getting pretty late, around 1130 or so. And Tammy had a midnight curfew, so the girls needed to hurry back to their homes, which were all on the same street. Okay. So as they got close to their street, a car without its lights pulled up in front of them. So it didn't have, they didn't have their lights on, even though it's late at night. Um, and the car pulled up about two houses away in front of them, which was kind of weird. Immediately not great. Yeah, definitely suspicious. Um, and that's how they felt. They're like, this is suspicious. Then the man got out of his car... And remember, he's in front of them. So he he walks past them and okay. is now behind them. Ugh, uh-uh. um, and then all of a sudden, the girls are approached from behind. Ugh. And it's a man. Th- this man was trying to grab all three of them at once. Um, and he pulled out a knife. And he said, quote, come here, bitch. Oh, God. Which is just like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but the man, he couldn't handle all three of these girls. Yeah. Um, and Trina um, was the smallest, and she was the only one that he could actually hold down. The other two, Tammy and Benita, were able to escape. They ran to a neighbor's house and asked them to call the police and their moms right away. Oh. So, um, Such the- a heartbreaking already oh yeah totally so the man escaped with trina before anyone could get there to help so he's off in his car and he's kidnapped trina and two hours later her body was found in a parking lot uh nearby um she had been sexually assaulted as well as stabbed seven times in the chest and abdomen which is really brutal um and there were wounds on her arms as well indicating that she had put up a fight but the wounds to the chest according to the coroner caused instantaneous death so it was pretty quick Um, But pretty, you know, it was brutal, obviously. Yeah. Um, So her friends, Tammy and Benita, they're witnesses now, and they were asked by authorities what they could recall about the assailant. They didn't have a license plate uh, number on his car, but they were able to recall that it was a brown, tan, or Mm goldish-looking four-door Ford Granada. Okay. They also said the man was a young black male, early 20s, um, weighing about 160 pounds, five foot nine with a lighter complexion and a thin mustache. Oh. So we've got sort of an idea of what he looks like. I'm so impressed by these young ladies already. Yeah, totally. Because that's such a heightened situation and they've got some pretty good details. Good information. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and the girls were also given hundreds of photographs to look at to potentially make an identification, um, but they weren't able to. They couldn't pick out a photo of anybody. Um, and authorities were not able to make any arrests right away. And within a few months, a similar crime would be committed in the same area. Ugh. So it was December 6, 1984, so three months after Trina's murder. An 11-year-old girl named Melinda Grissom left her house at about 6.30 p.m. to walk to the nearby convenience store. Mm-hmm. 
On her way home, Melinda, the little girl, um, went to high school with a with a Melinda. Yeah. Oh wow! Just an interesting fact. Cool side note. Yeah. So on her way home, uh, Melinda noticed that a car was following her. Oh Suspicious. no! Suspicious. The car pulled over, and she. So the car pulls over, and she thinks that the car they're gonna park or whatever, and she turns a corner. Then all of a sudden. There's a man who is attacking her from behind, grabbing her at the neck, um, and he starts hitting her. He grabs her and throws her into his car, but she's fighting back and she's hitting and kicking him. And the man says, quote, bitch, get your feet off me. So you've got, it kind of sounds like this other guy. Yeah. Kind of the the way he's talking to her. Um, Melinda was pretty near her home at this point, actually. And her younger sister actually witnessed this go down. Damn. Yeah. So she goes into her house and grabs their mom, Janet Grissom, who is... This is cool. She's barefoot. She runs out of the house and Dude, goes Mama up Bear. to that car. Oh, yeah. She goes up to that car, starts just banging on the door, trying to open it up, telling her daughter, open the door, open the door. Um, and so it actually had been snowing at that point and the roads were kind of icy. Uh-huh. So when the mom, when Mrs. Grissom is like pounding on the door, the car, the wheels are spinning and this guy can't get away. And his car actually, because of the mom pushing up against the car, uh-huh. his, the, his car actually hits a parked car and gives a minute of like this guy can't get away at this point yeah so melinda is able to open the door and jump out of the car in that process unfortunately her leg was run over by the car um but she did escape and it was because of amazing yeah because of her mom's help um and the guy you know he drove away um but there were two young men outside who also witnessed this entire thing go down they were able to get a license plate um, just as the the man was uh, driving away. Where were they beforehand? They were like, I oh, will just watch how it goes. I don't know. They must have been walking by. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But um, so Melinda had to be hospitalized for the injury to her leg. Um, and in the meantime, you know, this the culprit, he gets away. So this incident was similar enough to the rape and murder of Trina Middleton that it led investigators to look at an incident that had occurred before Trina's murder, right? So we're looking Uh at a pattern of maybe three very similar incidents, maybe the same guy. Um, So it was September 18th, 1984. So actually just two days before Trina was killed when 12-year-old Vanita McKenney was walking home from having just visited her cousins. Okay, so we've got a bunch of names here. We've got a bunch of little girls that are either victims, witnesses, or, you know, Um, what have you. And it was around 8.15 or 9 p.m. And all of a sudden, a car starts following her. The car drove past, then turned around and parked behind her. And just like the other incidents, the man gets out of the car, he grabs her from behind, and he threatens her with a knife. Vanita struggled and then fell to the ground. And the man yelled, quote, get up, bitch. So again, using the Liberal with the word bitch yes it seems like this guy has a very particular way of speaking when he's attacking mm-hmm. these girls thankfully someone inside a home right where this was happening it was in front of some houses somebody hears what's happening they open their front door and they they um vanita is able to escape and run into these people's house that's amazing which is really amazing um they call the police and these witnesses they told authorities um that the car that they saw was a four-door, possibly Ford Granada brown vehicle. 
same so, dude yeah so similar vehicles they talk similar. about his mustache his wispy mustache <laughs> no no mention of the mustache <laughs> okay but, um so with the three crimes we've got a similar mo they're all within just a few miles of each other in the city of cleveland stalking the young girls in a car the man getting out of the car using the word bitch when he's attacking them they all really seem to be connected and possibly it's the same guy right so Remember that when Melinda was attacked, remember those two guys that were just standing there, right? They yeah. Got, they got a license Although, plate. listen, it <laughs> does suck that they were just standing there, but also Melinda's mom was like, that, I think Janet had it. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I That's think some like mom. They probably status. were like about to, and then they were like, oh, we can't. No, Janet has Janet's got Janet's this. Janet's here. Watch yeah. out. She's barefoot. They probably pushing were just... a car into pushed into parked cars. <laughs> yes. That's some mama bear stuff right there. Totally. That's the kind of mom I hope to be. Yeah. Oh, you will be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like over anything. (laughs) (laughs) Mom, you told me I could go to school today. You didn't take your lunch. Jeez. Like how you made like a claw hand when you said that. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Okay. So the license plate that these guys had gotten within an hour of the attack uh, the police were able to trace this license plate, and it came back to a man named William Broom. Broom? Broom. Bummer. Like a push broom. Well, whatever. For him, I don't care, but in general. <laughs> so, but it was actually his son, a man named Rommel Broom, who admitted to the police that he was the one who had been driving, it was his father's car, when Melinda was attacked. So, Rommel Broom is our And he's admitting here. it? He's admitting to it. He says, yep, I was driving the car. He actually... Um, uh, he was actually taken to the hospital where Melinda was. Because remember, this happened the same day. They're like, oh, let's track, trace the license plate. We got the guy. They bring him into the hospital so that Melinda and her mom can ID this guy. And they bring him in. They're like, yep, that's the guy. I recognize that wispy mustache anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, so with this positive identification, authorities decided to ask witnesses from the murder of Trina Middleton and the attack on Vanita McKinney to see if they could also positively identify Ramel Broom. Because remember, they're looking at these as all potentially being connected. Yeah. One of the residents who had opened their door to Vanita was able to positively identify Ramel Broom in a lineup. Okay. okay so we're getting... This I mean, is our shortest episode yet. <laughs> yeah, we're going to just... This is going to be a slam dunk as yeah. far as we're concerned. Um, and when it came to the murder of Trina Middleton, her friends, Tammy and Benita, they, remember they weren't able to make the positive identification out of the hundreds of photos. Yeah. But once they saw uh, Ramel Broom standing like in a lineup and they saw him, they were now able to identify him. Okay. So they make the identification as well. So Rommel was arrested that same day, and he actually admitted to, like I said, driving his father's car, and he admitted to running over Melinda's leg, but he said that's all he did. He said he, he accidentally ran over a little girl's leg, then fleed the scene, and he doesn't know why the mom went, like, crazy on him. So, which is a weird... So weird. It's very weird to admit to, like, part of it, but you have multiple witnesses... Yeah. Who were there at the scene. The two guys, they get the license plate. They saw what happened. Melinda's sister saw it. Melinda's mom saw it. Like, really, guy? Like, you just ran over her leg? I, I think that, like, several other people beg to differ. Like, yeah. So it's weird that you would confess to part of it. Yeah. Um. So... Ramel said he had actually been driving his father's car, which now this car was a 1973 Buick. Now, remember, the car that had been seen at the other two incidents was like a goldish... 
brownish, brownish Ford Granada. Uh-huh. So what he said was that he was driving his father's car because he had wrecked his own car on November 4th, 1984. So for the murder of Trina and the attack of Vanita, he would have been driving another car. Okay. Which was a goldish brown Ford Granada. I'm trying to think, like, <laughs> I'm trying to get one step ahead of you. Yeah. And try and figure out what I think is happening. Yeah. And I can't. Well, what, do you th- what are you thinking right now? I have no idea. This dude's full. I mean, obviously, he's the one that did it. Like, there's no question for sure. Slam dunk. I think I'll regret all of that in a minute. But I do think slam dunk. But I cannot figure out what the point of saying, like, yes, I drove the car. And yes, I ran over her leg. But I didn't do anything else would be. Right. Yeah. That does, it just doesn't seem very smart. No. If you're going to deny it, deny the whole thing. Yeah. Or if you're going to admit to it, admit to the whole thing. It's like saying, like, yes, I did put a dollar in the candy machine. And yes... <laughs> I did throw away a wrapper, but I don't know how the, rep- the candy got eaten. <laughs> That's your analogy? I've had a lot of candy today. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> That's amazing. It that ended so on that perfect. by random. That was so perfect. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So that vehicle that he said had been um, had been wrecked, the goldish brown Ford Granada, and he couldn't drive it. It was impounded by police. And Tammy and Benita, the the witnesses for when Trina was murdered, they were taken down to the impound lot to look at the car, and they ID'd it. They said, "Yep, that was the car that Trina was taken away." In. And he was like, "Yes, that He's is like, correct. Yes, I did. I, to- it. I told you. I told you. This wispy mustache doesn't lie about cars. He doesn't. <laughs> so." A police officer later testified that, quote, we asked him if we were wrong in believing that he was responsible for these crimes. And his response was no. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, honestly, I think we're done. Case closed. Case closed. Yep. And when the forensics were looked at for Trina's murder, which included sperm and hair samples, okay, um, it was still not looking good for Ramel. Remember, this is the mid '80s, so you know they can look at forensics. They can't look at DNA the same way that we can now, but mm-hmm. they looked at blood type is primarily what they would do. Um, so the sperm was from someone with type B blood, which Ramel had, which is only about twelve percent of the population. So at that point, they. F- as far as they're concerned, that's that's enough for them to say that it's pretty yeah. co- that's pretty compelling at that time. Yeah. And one of the hairs found in Trina's hands, quote, could not be excluded as being that of Ramel Broom. So hair analysis is something that has been challenged over the years. Um, it's something. It's not an exact science. It's literally a dude taking a hair and putting it under a microscope and saying like, yep, that's the hair of this person. There's what? Really, it's really not. It's, Sounds official. So Ramel Broom also, he was a career criminal. Um, his run-ins with the law starting as early as childhood. As a teenager, he had committed theft, truancy, and stealing a car. By age 18, he had committed robbery, aggravated robbery. Um, both of these incidents where he had stopped cars at gunpoint and robbed the drivers. So like, you know, carjackings, essentially. And then the next year, he was, you know, he, when he was 18 years old, he also committed a rape. Um, so I'm just going to talk about this briefly. Um, it was in January, January 11th, 1975, and Ramel... Um, went over to his brother's house to visit his niece. And oh, no. 
his niece was just a little baby, but okay. she, she well, was being, the, the niece was being babysat by an unnamed 12 year old girl. Oh and, no. Yeah. And Ramel asked if he could come in and use the bathroom and the girl took the baby into the bedroom um, and Ramel followed her into the bedroom and he struck her over the head and he raped her, um, which is just, it's just awful. It's heinous. And, and, you know, he confessed to this. Yeah. Um, and we, he was eventually sentenced to seven to 25 years in prison. He confessed. Who is this guy? Yeah, he confessed to it. Um, so this happened in 1975. So this is um, a little less than 10 years before the incidents we're talking about. Um, and being sentenced to seven to 25 years in prison, it was actually on May 5th, 1984, that he was actually granted two years parole. So he got out of prison before that full 25 years or the maximum Ooh. 25 years which gives him enough time to be, well, he's just out of prison and now he's going to commit these three crimes that we're talking about. So on January 10th, 1985, Ramel Broom was indicted with one count of aggravated murder, which is just Ohio's way of saying first degree murder. Okay. Aggravated murder, there's first degree murder. They're essentially the same thing. thing. Um, One count of rape, five counts of kidnapping, and one count of felonious assault. And he was arraigned on January 15th, 1985, and he pleaded not guilty. Before. He was like, I did not do it. Yeah. I did drive the car. I did drive the car. I did run her over. Yep. I did grow this mustache. <laughs> yes. This I thin did mustache. not do anything else. Right. Okay. Um, and so... Before his trial, actually, Ramel wanted to take a plea deal, which would have been um, a guilty plea to aggravated murder, and then he would receive a sentence of 30 years to life, but the judge didn't allow it. The judge wanted to see him tried and then given potentially a death sentence. Probably because the judge was like, no, I do want to see how this plays out. Yeah. I am curious about this guy. I got to hear more. Yeah. Because this guy, I mean, it, it just ultimately, to me, just doesn't seem very smart. Like, he thinks he can outsmart the justice system and get away with some stuff and find, I don't know, like, somehow it might work out in his favor just by sheer luck. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So his trial began on September 16th, 1985. But as per a, a request from his defense team, he would actually only be tried for the murder, the rape, one count of kidnapping, and two counts of attempted kidnapping. So then what are they missing? Well, they're missing the other accounts of attempted kidnapping. So instead of just um, originally, originally it was five counts of kidnapping and one count of felonious assault. So there's the felonious assault and the multiple counts of kidnapping. Um, So I think they were just trying to go through every single thing he had done to every single one of these little girls. Copy. And they just knocked a couple of those off. Gotcha. Um, So the trial lasted a few weeks. And on October 3rd, 1985, Ramel Broom was found guilty on all counts and ultimately would receive a death sentence by lethal injection. Case closed. Okay. I have to go to bed now and drink a lot of water. I've dr- <laughs> had a lot of candy today. A lot of sugar. So see ya. Um, what are you thinking at this point? I really don't know. I don't know what his deal like. Yeah, because... The way, the way we do things on this podcast is... There's always just, a twist. I don't give you just a regular story. There's going to be something that I'm going to throw at Kim that's going to be like, what? And I'm trying to figure out what the twist is. Yes. And I can't. Like, okay. I, I don't under... Like, he's guilty. Yeah. He admitted he was guilty of a different crime. <laughs> right. He's admitted that he did the elements of the crime, but not the crime. Right. 
So I don't understand <laughs> how this is even a thing. Okay. Like, so over the years, Ramel Broom would exercise his right to appeals of his conviction. You only get a certain number of those. Um, but he claimed that he hadn't received adequate representation by his attorneys, that exculpatory evidence was not heard What's at that? his trial. <laughs> That's a different word I've never heard before. So exculpatory evidence is evidence that would exonerate you, evidence that proves your innocence. Gotcha. Inculpatory evidence is evidence that proves your guilt. Um, speaking of legalese, if it was not <laughs> in Legally Blonde or Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, or Legally Blonde the musical. Say Legally Blonde three times fast. <laughs> legally Blonde, legally blonde. Legally blonde um, the musical, Colin, The Search for the New Elle Woods, I wouldn't know about it. It wasn't covered in any of those properties, and I've never heard of it before. Got That's it. why I don't know what that word means. <laughs> I can feel how fast I'm talking. Got it. If Got you it. listen to this podcast on 1.5 speed, you are screwed yeah, this week don't i just it. it's okay it's i understand but you got to go back and listen to it at half speed so it sounds normal you're yeah you're talking so fast <laughs> I, I feel it you're out of control <laughs> um so this exculpatory evidence that wasn't heard he claimed was that now this was this bummed me out when i read about this is that trina middleton the murder victim was actually a really outgoing girl who was known to be sexually active and would actually get into the cars of strange men and just party with random people. <sighs> Which is, to me, it's like, okay, so if, if you had, if you had, if that were true and you had brought that forth in a trial, do you think a jury's really going to sympathize with you victim blaming? I just feel like... No, it's the kind of thing. disgusting. Absolutely it is. It, and it doesn't, you know, I don't know. So... I, when I read that, I was like, "That's really people gross. and it." People do it still, and it's so gross. Yeah, it doesn't Whether, do anything. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like when they call it date rape. It's rape. You're just trying to like, oh, that's true, say yeah. that the woman like, no, I mean, she was into it until she decided not to be right. So it lessens. You're trying to like lessen the blow. Oh, it's just date rape. It was rape. Like, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm so. I'm so confused and so disgusted by this guy <laughs> yes. in equal terms. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, too, that he said about not receiving a fair trial is that his prior convictions were brought to light. Remember, I talked about all of the his... prior conviction of you raping a young woman around yeah. the same age of the women that these young women that you are accusing. That's a bummer that they really got brought into light. I don't know why they would have done that. <laughs> yeah. Because there's the idea that a jury can be unduly biased. And if you're bringing in cases that don't matter, it's going to make somebody look more like a criminal than they actually are. But I agree. I mean, come on. This one definitely matters. It ma definitely matters. Um, so he also tried to claim that Tammy and Benita, the witnesses, remember they had seen Ramel's photo. So they had seen a lineup of, or you know, hundreds of photos. Mm -hmm. And they'd actually seen Ramel Broom's photo in that initial, when they were shown photos. Uh -huh. But they didn't pick him out initially. It wasn't until months later... Uh -huh. that they were tying it all together, that they suddenly were like, oh, yeah, it's Ramel Broom. And so he was claiming that, oh, the police put the pressure on these girls to say, oh, this, we've got our guy. Isn't this him? This is him, right? Yeah. So that was, you know, that, that to me was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, that does happen for sure, but mm -hmm. I feel like that didn't happen here. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like what happened here is this guy committed truly heinous crimes yes admitted to it yes and now is like oh no i admitted to the crimes i oh, gotta whoops. fix it right oh my bad 
So in a further attempt to prove his innocence, Rommel requested that a DNA test be done because this would be, uh, this is in 2001 he requests this. So DNA is now caught up a little bit. The technology is available. So he wants to do a full test and see. So the results were not really what he was hoping for. <laughs> it's so. definitely, you definitely did it, yeah. dude. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> so the result was that the DNA found um, in uh, Trina's body was, it was not an exact match for Ramel Broom. But the results showed that the chances that Broom was not the contributor were one in 2.3 billion black males. Do you, can you make sense of this? No. Okay. But I wish we got to introduce a video element to this podcast. Because <laughs> your hands are going wild right now. My hands are going wild. And my face looks like... I've never... It's like she's trying to do math in her head. She's getting beautiful mind with it right now. There's numbers swirling around. Everywhere. It's just Ramel. It's just written Ramel a million times. Yes. Yeah. So it's not an exact match. Okay. Okay. Now, exact matches don't happen all the time with DNA evidence. A lot of times what they go to trial with is it's not an exact match, but you know, here's a giant number. It's one in four quadrillion chances that this wouldn't be the person. Yeah. So with those kinds of odds, it's still compelling enough that if you were to take this new information and present that to a jury, they'd be like, we're going to convict you because it's not exactly him, but it's also the chances that it's not him are one in 2.3 billion black males, not just all males, Dude. but African-American males. You did it. You did it. So now this brings us to the most interesting part of this case. It's already pretty interesting, Stacey. He is imagining things. He is an imagining things? Words. <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So something's, uh, something is about to happen that's really strange, okay? Something that hasn't happened before in our justice system. Something pretty crazy. He grew a full mustache. <laughs> His wispies grew into a full mustache. <laughs> You're an idiot. Um, so as with all people sitting on death row, it wouldn't be for a few decades that Ramel would actually be executed. So remember, he was convicted in 85. It was September 15, 2009. Um, that Ramel was actually brought in for his lethal injection and actually going to be executed. Okay. Okay. So, but what happened was something that... I'm sorry, what was the year? 2009. Okay. So what happened was at first, so they, they're all set up to do it, and it's difficult to find a vein to do, to do the lethal injection. Okay. okay. So the correctional officers actually encountered so much difficulty in finding a suitable vein that after an hour, whoa, after an hour, Ramel Broom tried to help them out by like moving onto his side and sliding the rubber tubing up and down his arm and flexing his fingers and trying to like, let's get this over with here, people. Yeah. Right. Damn. I mean, this dude does not deserve any sympathy whatsoever. But have you ever gotten an IV and like they can't find a vein at first and you're for like a second, they can't find a vein and it really sucks? You do you know that I have a IV like phobia? Uh, No, I'm very, very, very scared of IVs. IVs or just needles? 
IVs specifically. Needles, yes, but IVs are, to me, I can't even do it. I actually had to go get a really, like I had to have a test before I had surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, they had to do an IV where they put stuff in your bloodstream to do a, a scan. Yeah, yeah. I freaked out and I left and I didn't do it. I, <laughs> so I, I'm not laughing at you. But I was just thinking like they, I, I had to have something similar done. Yeah. And they did it for me and they, um, they missed the vein. Oh. And it, oh God. they still injected it. And oh. so I was like by myself and just I was like crying because it hurt so bad. But I was like strapped to the table. Oh so my was, God. Like, very kind nurse came and like wiped They didn't strap tears. you in? Where were well, you? I was strapped in a, like I was, uh, my head was strapped to the table in a oh, little, damn. you know, cage situation not to move my head. Right. Yeah. I was, I, I was having toe surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. Yeah, got strapped for your head in when you have toe surgery. Oh God! <laughs> um, what I anyway, found- just like that, like that moment of getting like them missing the vein and trying to go back in and find a vein. Yeah, is very painful, and so an hour of that is just gross. Yes, um, and so eventually a vein was found, but it collapsed. Ooh. So what happened was this actually ended up going on for about two full hours. Ooh. And at this point, Ramel Broom, he appeared to be in distress. Yeah. And was like crying and like wiping his eyes. Like this is, I mean, this is like a hardened criminal who's like on death row. And this is like, clearly he's in agony here, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, this is its own form of torture. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so one, a member of the execution team handed him a roll of toilet paper, which he used to just wipe his eyes. The executioners attempted to use the veins in his legs. That didn't work. And and the guys, you know, Ramel's like grimacing and he's just like in pain. Um, One member of the execution team is like patting him on the back. I mean, you can tell everybody's kind of like, oh God, like trying to console him because this is awful. After 18 attempts to make the injection, finally they gave up. After two hours and 18 attempts, they gave up and they... They basically said, we need a break from this. We, this is not going to be successful. Yeah. Um, during the execution, one of Broom's lawyers, he started writing the Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Thomas J. Moyer, asking him to end the procedure. He said, quote, any further attempts today to carry out the execution of Mr. Broom would be cruel and unusual punishment in violation of the U.S. Constitution. He continued to say, they would also violate Ohio's statutory requirement that a lethal injection execution is to be quick and painless. Which, I mean, that, I mean, that makes sense to me, you know? So after two hours of this agony, essentially, prison director um, Terry Collins, he contacted Governor Ted Strickland, who issued a last-minute reprieve. And so for one week, wow. for one week, this execution was not going to happen. They're like, all right, shut everything down. We need to take a break from this. So Governor Ted Strickland, he said, quote, difficulties in administering the execution protocol necessitate a temporary reprieve. And so this actually was not the first time the state of Ohio had attention drawn to them for the mismanagement of lethal injections, specifically when it comes to getting that IV and getting the vein, getting it in there and getting it going. Mm -hmm. In May 2006, Ohio officials took nearly 90 minutes to carry out the execution of Joseph Clark because of problems finding a vein. A year later, Ohio inmate Christopher Newton's execution took about two hours after prison team almost had trouble finding a vein. Um, But these people ended up being executed. Okay. Ramel Broom survived his execution Mm -hmm. and is still alive today. 
it's been a week. <laughs> so that was 2009. It's 2018. I don't understand. Okay. So <laughs> I don't understand anything about this week's episode. <laughs> so I barely know where I am anymore. I've had so much candy. He's admitted to the crime. Yes. I don't understand anything. Did they try his toe? <laughs> <laughs> They, yeah. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so while there have been botched executions where the attempt is made for so long and it's not working out, the executions all went through. But with Ramel Broom, he's the only one in U.S. history ever that has actually survived his execution. And what, what his lawyers did was they made appeals to essentially commute his sentence to, instead of um, uh, d- the death sentence, for it to be a life sentence. So months go by, the governor issues the one week reprieve, but then months go by and then years. And his, Rommel's lawyers are making these attempts, right? So in March, 2016, the Ohio Supreme Court actually rejected an appeal by Rommel Broom and ruled that the state can again try to execute him. But later in August, 2016, Rommel Broom asked the US Supreme Court to halt a second execution with his lawyers arguing that another execution attempt would be cruel and unusual punishment and would violate double jeopardy protections under the 5th and 14th Amendments of the US Constitution. Mm -hmm. Then on December 12th, 2016, they declined to give Broom a hearing on his appeal. And finally, just a year ago, on May 19th, 2017, the Ohio Supreme Court scheduled a second execution date for Rommel Broom, which will be on June 17th, 2020. Wow. Which is crazy because he's the only person who has survived his own execution. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, you know, the reason I set up the story to really tell the story of, like, the dude did some terrible stuff. There's yeah. like no doubting it. But to imagine preparing to die. Yeah. And then that doesn't happen. That mm-hmm. seems cruel and unusual. It really that, does. It, yeah, yeah. I think if, absolutely. If, if we set out to kill somebody because they committed a crime and we want them out of our society and they're irredeemable, whatever it is, like if that's what you believe in, like execute him, be done with it. But like. It didn't work. Like, what a nightmare. Yeah. For everybody involved. And, like, listen, this dude committed some heinous crimes. He is not enjoying his time in prison. No. And I think that we should just let him not enjoy his time in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let him stay in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I say just guillotine me, dude. Just... Dude. I say uh, I'm not going to commit any murders. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if I want to frame you for murder, I could do it. Why? 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 Well, guess what? Guess what evidence you have now given our listeners that are either 250 or 7 million. I want 1 million (laughs) listeners on this podcast. And can you imagine how many people would suddenly care about our podcast if I was murdered by you? (laughs) Wait, but I'm not doing the murder. I could never carry out a murder. I call it a (laughs) murder. You talk like a bird. <laughs> All right. So final thoughts on this one, Kim. Um, I think what he did was truly heinous. Mm-hmm. Um, it blows my mind that he was like, I did everything except the crime. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's my car. Yeah, I ran over her leg. No, I don't know why she was yelling at me. I don't know why the mommy was yelling at me. Uh, I think that's insane. I, I do think that if... You, 
I, I don't know that that giving him another, you know, giving the state another shot at lethal injection is a great idea. I do think it's torture. I think having somebody for two hours squirm and then end up trying to help the executioners and yeah then you got to think about these like correctional officers and them being there and what they're it's just it's emotion it took an emotional toll on them too it's a no-win situation yeah for sure the family of these just uh, tragic stories now they're watching this happen the emotions it's not nobody yeah no one wins in this situation and i don't think doing it Trying it again is a good idea. Yeah. Also, not everyone can grow a full mustache. <laughs> and there's society needs to stop putting pressure on guys <laughs> to stop growing to like, oh, you got to grow a full mustache. If you can't grow a full mustache, don't even just shave it. You know just what I mean? Just shave it. Just don't even We don't need your wispies, buddy. Yeah. Shave it right off. Okay. Yeah. My microphone just hit my nose. This dude is a monster, though, and deserves to have a dumb-looking mustache. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Kim. Yep. You can find us at kimknowsnothing.com. Dot edu. <laughs> dot gov. Dot net. Uh, geocities. Geocities.com slash kimknowsnothing. <laughs> if you want to find us on the meads, go to aquavista.com. Aquavista? Aquavista. Aquavista? Aquavista.com. And in the search bar, enter in Kim Knows Nothing social meads. And, uh, go to Ask Jeeves. <laughs> hey, Jeeves, uh, where can I find the social meads for the podcast where the two hosts just, it's too much sugar. <laughs> and they'll be like, They're oh. fully amped. And Jeeves will be like, oh, yes. At <laughs> no bad and just go to go to instagram twitter or facebook at kim knows nothing i'm just gonna get right to the point eventually um leave us a review uh yep at the show and i'm don't let like my sugar craze influence your bad review yeah if you're gonna review us bad then you know what i guess we deserve it <laughs> i guess but and i'm sorry but do then do something else Listen, as far as my calculations, if they're correct, we have either several hundred or seven million. It's one of the two listeners. It can only be one of those. So my question is, why do we only have 33 reviews on iTunes podcasts when we, it should be either several hundred or seven million. I'm just, I'm looking at, this is a numbers game, but just leave us a review. (laughs) All right. I need some water. Yeah, Kim, Kim, it's time for bed. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. See you next week. Okay, love you. Bye.